the jackass in the church. The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. Hello and welcome to the God Still Speaks Through Jackasses broadcast. My name is Matthew Garnett and I'm a layman who wants to go deeper into the scriptures and hopefully take a few of my fellow brothers and sisters with me. And of course, along the way, perhaps we can be of help to some of you pastors out there to better understand just what your lay people might be talking about when we say, hey, we want to go deeper. Welcome again to our broadcast and the all-new Pirate Christian Radio. Be sure to check us out at www.piratechristian.com and also at www.godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org. All right, folks. Uh, you may or may not have noticed a little pattern with me, and, and you probably didn't notice it because it's anything but a pattern. Uh, but really, to me, it is. What what kind of goes on is, as a lot of you guys know that, that listen regularly, you know, I'm a truck driver, so I'm out there driving my truck around and listening to all kinds of things. That's why I try to give you some, some uh, what I call the radio digest, and all that is is just stuff I've been uh, listening to throughout the week that I found interesting that I want to direct your attention to. And a lot of times it's the same places, same guys, and that sort of thing, because this is what draws my interest. Well, um, every year about this time, uh, Grace Community Church out in California, that's uh, uh, Pastor John MacArthur's church, if, if you're wondering, uh, holds what they call the Shepherd, Shepherds Conference. And you heard uh, Phil Johnson last week talk about uh, about the, the efficacy of the word, the power of the word, and, and uh, that, you know, we... Uh, the people, you pastors out there that that uh, preach the word, uh, this is all you have to worry about in, in your vocation. You know, the, this may feel like it's constraining or something like that, but but the great thing about uh, being a pastor is you never have to guess about what is what the thing is that's going to communicate to your people because it's always going to be God's word. If that's what your focus is, if that's what you're at. Uh, set out to do. If your goal, your mission is to get up in front of your people and try to shed light on God's word week in and week out, 
You're going you're gonna to hit it every time. If you try to do some other things, like Pastor Johnson was talking about last week, you try to bring in gimmickry or clever tricks or this, that, and the other thing, you may or may not communicate what you want to be communicating, okay? Uh, that's just the case. You're, you're taking a shot in the dark, but with God's word, you know you're going to be right on the money every time. So uh, that's what we kind of tried to bring out last week is and talk about um, really what has the power, Uh to uh, to transform lives and and to save souls and it is God's word and the right administration of the sacraments. Okay, so that that's really what we were trying to bring out last week and we're going to keep kind of hovering around that that this week. Um, we're going to start off with an email, uh, kind of a, a, an interesting, very interesting email that that I received this week um, from the last podcast. Uh, some stuff I kind of anticipated might <laughs> come through, uh, but then we're going to go back and we're going to look at, at another lecture in the in the uh, at the Shepherds Conference this year. Uh, it's called uh, the Sanctification Debate by Mike Riccardi, Pastor Mike Riccardi. He's uh, another pastor out at uh, out at Grace there in, in California, and uh, and he's going to talk about some stuff. You know, you guys have heard me uh, really decry this whole uh, hyper grace finished works movement. And I think that's part of what he's trying to deal with, but at the same time, he's getting he's getting into some areas that um, I'm not quite sure the the approach is there. Uh, a lot of what Pastor Riccardi does is is fantastic, it's really good. It's going to set you on a right course. And then some of it uh, I've got questions about, and so uh, we're we're going to review it uh, more or less, and and, and just kind of point out what's good about it, what's not so good about it, and and where you know in in the humble opinion of a truck driving layman. Uh, where I've kind of understood all this to make sense. And, and hopefully in my making sense of it, it'll make sense to you as well. So that's, that's the idea. And, uh, we got a lot to do. So let's get started with it. And so we're going to do our Facebook, which is also known here at the God Still Speaks Through Jackasses broadcast as the random Facebook post. So here we go. I wouldn't call myself a social butterfly. And there's not much that separates me from the other guy. But when I log in, I begin to live. There's an online world where I am king of a little website dedicated to me with pictures of me and a list of my friends and an unofficial record of the groups that i'm in before the internet friendship was so tough you actually had to be in people's presence and stuff who would have thought that with a point and a click i would know that hope floats is your favorite flick used to meet girls hanging out at the mall, but now I just wait for them to write on my wall. Take a look, you're hooked on Facebook. Hey, it says that Link's status has changed. He's playing the recorder. Okay, this email comes from Keith in South Texas, and Keith writes, I thought your message today was on the mark and very strong for the most part. I agree that biblical teaching and preaching is paramount in the Lord's Church, and I think you provided ample evidence for that in most of your message. 
I followed more cautiously as you delved into pastoral dress and worship environment. Like you, I believe pastoral dress is important, but I'm not sure my reasoning follows yours. Other than Paul's admonitions in Timothy, I don't remember in Scripture anything that describes proper worship attire and attitude except the priestly dress described in Leviticus and other Old Testament references. But I strongly strongly believe that the minister's dress and his congregation should be appropriate in preparation to come before God in worship, bringing him honor and glorifying him as the minister and as his congregants present themselves there. I've always felt there's something amiss where folks dress too casually when coming to worship like you. It seems to me to be a mis- a representation of their attitudes. He goes on to say, as I stated earlier, I was cheering, I was a cheering listener until you began to express your approval of what is obviously the youth Lutheran uniform, quote unquote. It seems to sound almost pharisaical. As you had earlier condemned others' choice of worship dress and came to approval of the stated motive and non-scriptural appearance of Lutherans, and not just Lutherans, but Missouri Synod Lutherans. Don't you think praise and ad, uh, praise of and admonitions to follow past church traditions is relevant to worship only when those traditions are prescribed in Scripture? And this is a great email and brings out some some really good points and some stuff that obviously I you know wasn't as clear on as I wanted to be. So we want to clear some of that stuff up right here in Keith's email. First of all, in the spirit of full disclosure here, and, and I hope this isn't too embarrassing to Keith. <laughs> um, Keith is my dad. And I, I just want to say something kind of off the completely off the subject, honestly, here about my dad. Let me tell you some stuff about my dad. In my estimation, my father, Keith, is a great example of the Lord's love to all of us. Uh, some of you know my background. Uh, you know that I've come to the Lutheran faith through a very circuitous uh, route, and I've been into all kinds of things. And through all of that, my father uh, has stuck right with me and kept praying and kept hoping and kept supporting me. And I just want to use that as an example. I, I can't grab onto enough examples of how important it is for you fathers with children uh, who are still at home and, and children who are adults uh, to continue to display the Lord's love to them because uh, it works. It does work. You may think there may be some times where you think, boy, your, your son or daughter, they're just gone. They've abandoned the faith. And they're never coming back. And I'm not sure if my dad ever thought that about me, but uh, but he never verbalized that to me. He always he always hoped. He always trusted the Lord with my life and believed that the Lord's hand was was upon me, and that eventually uh, I would come to my senses with uh, out of some things, and and the Lord would would rescue me out of some situations I'd put myself in. And surely He did. And so I just want to use my dad as an example, first of all, to say. Look, you dads out there, never, never lose heart, never lose hope uh, in, in what the Lord can do with your children. Train them up in, in the way of the Lord and, and trust that the Lord will continue to have their hand, to continue to have his hand on them. And it, it, it'll happen. It'll happen. You may, you may be in a real dark uh, place with one of your children and you may think that, that it's hopeless, but don't give up hope. 
Uh, my dad certainly didn't ever give up hope on me. And now we're having these great theological conversations <laughs> based on my podcast. And I got to tell you, you know, one real reason why I do this podcast is because, uh, you know, every so often it, it gets my dad and I into these conversations and we talk about this stuff and it's great. It's really great. So <clears throat> first of all, you know, I just, uh, you know, just want to say thanks to my dad and uh, just so appreciative that um, he listens and uh, he, we interact like this and uh, an, an encouragement to all you dads out there to uh, to keep doing what you're doing and praying for your children and, and, and uh, preaching the gospel to him and, uh, and, tr- and trusting that the Lord is going to grab hold of their hearts uh, because he is faithful. He is indeed faithful. So anyway. To my dad's email, and it was a kind of awkward to call him Keith, but I'm going to call him my dad now. Uh, my dad brings out some great points here uh, about dress. And, and the, the, the real point that I was trying to bring out there was, look, with everything uh, a pastor in particular does and, and, the, and the congregation, the thing we have to remember is we're always communicating something. And so from how the pastor dresses to – the style of worship to everything that goes on in a church service, something is being communicated. And what we ought to be doing is pointing everybody away from ourselves and pointing them to Christ and the gospel. That goes for how we dress, how the, the sanctuary looks, how it's decorated, all these things. Everything we do in a worship service the first, the first and primary question we should be asking is, is this pointing to the gospel? Are we communicating uh, the Lord and his word to us? Or is there something else going on here? Are we trying to point people to ourselves? Is there any of that in there? These are, these are questions that you pastors, if you're listening to this, you seriously need to ask yourself. These are the critical questions that need to be asked of what you're doing. In your worship service, what are your people hearing? Are they hearing you or are they hearing Christ? Are they seeing you or are they seeing the Lord? And anything that interferes with that should be done away with. This was the heart of the Reformation was to say that, hey, there are things going on in the church that are not pointing to Christ and his gospel based on the scriptures. And we need to do away with those things. We need to get rid of those things so we can clarify and preach in the purest sense that we can the gospel, the, the the free gift of God's salvation because of the person and work of Christ. That's the idea. And we communicate that with everything we do. All right. And so <clears throat> essentially when, when we talk about tradition, the biggest thing I think that we want to communicate as the church is that the gospel and its message is timeless. So if we have to change things and do things differently in church in order to accommodate a certain culture, a certain generation, then what is really being communicated there? I tell you what I hear when pastors feel like they have to dress a certain way, there has to be a certain mode of music or, or this sort of thing. What I hear being communicated is the, the gospel the words of our Lord from the scriptures teaching us about our life and our salvation, the defeat of sin, death, and the devil. What I hear being communicated when folks think they need to change the traditions of the church is that those traditions are getting in the way of that message. A, 
and B, that sometimes we have to help the, the scripture along a little bit by being more culturally relevant or doing things that may, more, may communicate more to people in our day and time. And that the power is in that, in us being able to adapt and change uh, in, in cultural, cultural or uh, um, generational situations. That the message has to be adapted, even in our practices. And what it communicates to me is when people hold to the traditions that have been communicating the gospel, when they can take those things that, that, that communicated the gospel 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, 2000 year, years ago and beyond, when they can take those things that people have done throughout the ages and hold to them and say, Hey, th- these things have communicated the gospel throughout generations. They're timeless. When we hold on to those things, what we communicate is, is that the gospel is timeless, that it does not change. It doesn't need to be changed. You see. And those are the couple of things that are at work when we start talking about changing traditions, when we start changing different things that we do, particularly in worship service. This is really what I'm driving at is what gets done in a worship service. What are we communicating by what, how we dress, the style of music, everything? Are we communicating that the gospel is timeless or are we communicating something else? Are we communicating that only part of the gospel is timeless? You know, what's, what's going on here? And are we even asking these questions? Are we thinking on these levels? You see, uh, basically what I see in my church, and again, I am a Lutheran. Uh, I am a, a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, <laughs> uh, confessional Lutheran. And what I see in my church is that we're trying to get ourselves out of the way by how we dress, how the sanctuary looks, the music we play. We're trying to get ourselves out of the way, and we're trying to put the word of God forth. We're pri- trying to put the scriptures as the apex of everything, because that is the timeless message that takes people who have hearts of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. And that's, that's really my basic bottom line here. It's, I'm not even trying to condemn or say anything else about anybody else. It's just, I'm trying to get people to think in, in these terms and ask these questions. Are we communicating Christ with what we're doing? Are we getting ourselves out of the way and pointing people to the scriptures, all right? Because what I go to church to see is not my pastor, not the the people helping out with the service, not the not the the the, uh, the people that are uh, reading the, the the readings for the week. I don't go there to see them or hear them. What I go to do is see Christ and hear Christ. And so, are how how are we addressing that question? Are we addressing that question? Is that question even coming into into view? So here's the question I would ask of people when it comes to just how the pastor dresses. I mean, this is a minor thing, really, at the the end of the day. It really is. But I think we should take every single little thing we possibly can and point people to the gospel with it, even as something as minor as how the pastor dresses. So here's my question. And, And this will be to my dad and everybody else who, you know, who thinks about how the pastor dresses. <clears throat> so my pastors dress like first century Greco-Romans, essentially. That's how they dress. And we've come to adopt meanings behind that dress. Um, 
such as you know the the white robes covering the pastor to to cover them up and to point you to Christ. The collars, the white collars around their throat, um, signify you know uh, the they're speaking, they're preaching, they're teaching um, as something that's coming through the purity of Christ um, that's covering their throat. These sorts of things. These have meanings that all point us to Christ. So, what points us to Christ more? Does dressing in in the traditional way that pastors have dressed point us? Uh, how, how does that point us to Christ? How does dressing in a suit and tie point us to Christ? How does dressing in a designer T-shirt or jeans point us to Christ? What point? What is the best thing we can use that points us to the gospel and to Christ? What's the best way for the pastor to dress that takes the attention completely off of him and puts it on Christ? My contention is stick with the tradition. Stick with the tradition. Unless it obviously is something that is that was instituted to point men away from Christ into somebody else. Like, for instance, some of the ways the, the Pope dresses... Is meant to point is meant to point to him. Okay? He dresses in ways he has certain vestments and vestiges that are not meant to point to Christ so much as it is to point to him as the vicar of Christ. You see. So that should be done away with. But then again, how pastors dress in a high church setting with vestments and that sort of thing, as if they're meant to point to Christ. And and it was interesting. I mean, a few weeks ago here, even my son, Isaac, age nine, um, saw something our pastor was wearing and wondered why he wore it. And it was beautiful because the pa- because he asked the pastor about it, and the pastor took him aside and t- took several minutes to to explain and preach the gospel right to him based on how he was dressed. I thought that was beautiful. And I think if we ask these questions about, okay, what is communicating Christ the best? Is is it vestments? Is it suit and tie? Is it designer t-shirt and jeans? But at the end of the day, the question we need to be asking is, what is best pointing to, to Christ and to the gospel? I don't care how you dress. I really don't. But quite honestly, I haven't found anything as far as the pastor's dress goes, that points to Christ more than wearing vestments. There's just all kinds of meaning and tradition behind it that points us right back to to the gospel and teaches us that the gospel is timeless. We're we're willing to say, hey, you know what? We'll dress like first century Greco-Romans because that's when the gospel, the New Testament was instituted. And what we want to say, if nothing else, by how we've retained that dress because we believe that the dress isn't timeless. Obviously, we don't dress like that anymore. But what we're saying when we come to church and dress that way is we're saying that there is something timeless about what's going on here. Okay? So that's that's the challenge I would throw out. How do, does your pastor dress to point to the gospel and Christ? And if he and if he does, what's the best way to do it? What's the best dressed pastor we can get? Okay. I think that's about all I'm going to say on that. Let's move on to what I'm going to uh, term as our Radio Digest segment this week with uh, with the Pastors Conference, and we're going to get into this lecture with Pastor Mike Riccardi, 
and his lecture on sanctification. So let's get to it. Okay, so the title of this seminar is The Sanctification Debate, Navigating the Waters of Moralism and Quietism. And many of you will have followed the ongoing discussions in greater evangelicalism concerning what the role of the believer is in progressive sanctification. In 2011, Tolly and Chavidjian published Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And in what I believe was a noble desire to correct against a, a moralistic view of sanctification that left a generation of churchgoers outwardly acceptable, but unchanged in their heart's affections, Tullian emphasized the necessity of looking back to justifying grace uh, in the gospel as the ground and the fuel for Christian living. Along with this doctrine of remembering our justification came an overwhelming infatuation with the indicatives of Scripture, the the triumphant declarations of the believer's position in Christ. And both in Tolian's writings, as well as in the thinking of the many evangelicals who have bought into this model of sanctification, it wasn't long before a celebration of the gospel's indicatives seemed to leave little emphasis on the Bible's imperatives. And as so often happens, the pendulum swings uh, to the other end of the spectrum. And what wound up happening is that a subgroup of evangelicals began talking like our only work in sanctification is to seek strength and power through contemplating past grace. The, the Okay, so a couple of things I want to bring out here. First of all, the group that he is putting Tolian Chivijan in is not quietism. Tolian Chavichin, when he was in ministry, was not a quietist. Right? He, he is a Presbyterian. And uh, I would maintain that, uh, or I would assert, rather, that Tolian Chavichin was a, pre- uh, was, was, is actually a Lutheran <laughs> masquerading as a Presbyterian. The way Tolian Chavichin used to preach and teach was, was very Lutheran. And there's no way. Now, what I, I will agree with Pastor Riccardi. And by the way, we're, we're not going to be able to get to all of Pastor Riccardi's seminar here. It is an hour and a half long. So I'm going to choose bits and pieces of it. Uh, but I'm going to really do my dead level best to put this in context because I really want to be fair to him, uh, and, and bring out what he, what he's trying, the points he's trying to make because he does make some really good points. And he is actually getting at the heart of this uh, whole hyper grace finished works movement, which needs to be got, gotten after. It really does. Uh, and you've heard us here on the program get after that. If just go back and listen to just about anything I did last fall, uh, back into the summertime and you'll hear me get after, uh, uh, the antinomians that, that are the, uh, hyper grace finished works movement. Now, uh, what Pastor Riccardi's trying to do here or uh, his perception of Tolian Chavichin is that, uh, indeed he is in this movement. He is a part of this quietism, as he refers to it, that, that really is this hyper grace finished works movement. And that's just not true. Uh, what Tolian Chavichin used to preach was what Lutherans refer to as law and gospel. Okay. And the way, Lutherans look at law and gospel. First of all, we look at the word. We look at the gospel as being efficacious for our sanctification. In other words, us understanding 
Um, it's not even just a remembering. It's not even just an understanding of. It's not learning more about what Jesus did for us in sanctification. It is, for some reason, God has chosen um, in his sovereignty to use his words to be creative. His words are creative. He spoke. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And when he says the gospel has the power of salvation, uh, that is something that uh, that is true for us just as much today as believers as it was, you know, maybe before we were converted or whatever. And and Lutherans don't even really look at uh, that the timeline in that way so much. It's you know, uh, so I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna get into all that as far as well before we were. Uh, saved or before we were regenerated and after we were regenerated and and that but uh, the point i'm trying to pull, pull out here is, is twofold one uh Tolinchevichin does not belong lumped in with the quietest hyper grace finished works movement he's a law gospel preacher straight and simple uh, so if you're going to lump Tolinchevichin in with quietism you've got to lump all of the lutherans you've got to throw all of us in there right? and i'm pretty sure that pastor ricardi would not do this because if you look at the Lutheran faith, we're anything but antinomians. I mean, look, we invented the term. <laughs> we did because they because we got accused of this, and so Luther invented that term to, to say, "Hey, we are not this," and and we're not. And, uh, and I don't think Pastor Riccardi would say that. So I, 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 again, I understand where he's coming from. When you read some of Tolian's stuff, it can come off that way if you don't understand where he's coming from. In the sense of law and gospel, if you understand and know how he pre- normally preaches and teaches and that sort of thing, he is not an antinomian. He is not a quietist. All right. So, so basically, here's the deal. Here's how sanctification, quote unquote, works uh, in the scriptures. Uh, and, and I think the Lutherans had this right. And I think the Calvinists and the 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 uh, hype, the neo reform, the uh, uh, the radical reformation, they have it wrong. I, I'll just say it straight out. I think Pastor Riccardi is wrong about what sanctification is and how it's accomplished. And we're going to say that straight out with all due respect. Again, Pastor Riccardi, I, he's a brother in Christ. I'm, I want to give him all the respect in the world here on this. Uh, and he brings out some really good stuff on this that, that we, that does need to be brought up and brought up to folks like the hyper grace, uh, finished works, uh, people who are indeed antinomians. They need to have, they need to listen to a message like this. This will be helpful to them, I would think, if they would listen. Uh, but, but I, I think, um, Pastor Riccardi's approaches is still going to be ill-advised. He's going to slip right back into what he would consider to be moralism, unfortunately, in this. And so at, at any rate, I just want to kind of lay the foundation for this. When you preach law and gospel, you've got it covered. It's really no more complicated than that. When we understand things in terms of law and gospel, and we understand what the three uses of the law are, and we understand that those uses of the law are always in effect. And we're going to talk more about this later. This may be at the next episode. Let me just, so let me go ahead and mention it now. Um, the law has three functions. Uh, the curb, the guide, or the curb, the mirror, and the guide. That's how the Lutherans lay it out, the Reformed. Lay it out a little differently. They they say it's a, it's a mirror, curb, then guide, I think is how they lay it. It doesn't really matter. It's fine. But but the reason they the reason they order it in that way is because primarily, chiefly, the their first use of the law, that the law is a mirror, is the they they're agreeing with with Luther on this. Essentially that uh, the 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 law is there to show us our sin. That's the chief function of the law. Now Here's the thing that I'm not sure Pastor Riccardi understands. We, we agree on the, the functions of the law. 
first of all, I'm not sure he understands the concept of law, gospel, preaching, and teaching. That's one thing that's missing in this whole deal, and we're going to pull that out right here. Boy, I, I tell you what, folks, I cannot encourage you, if you're not familiar with law and gospel, you need to go get familiar with this concept because this clears so much up in the scriptures. When you start to think in terms of, is this law? Is this gospel? What's being preached here? Uh, it's just going to help so much. And I think this is what Pastor Riccardi is, is really grasping after, and he just can't quite get there. Uh, but but at any rate, wh- where, where he's going to go afoul on this is, uh, in one way, one way he's going to go uh, astray on this is he's not going to understand that the three, I don't think he understands, he doesn't really talk about this too much, but I don't think he understands that the three uses of the law, when the law is preached properly, all three uses are doing their work, all three of them. So in other words, you can never preach. Okay, so we're going to go with <laughs> with the Lutheran outline. Okay, the curb, the mirror, and the guide. Uh, you can never preach the law and expect it to not be a curb. You can never preach the law and not expect it to be a mirror, which is its chief function. You can never preach the law and not expect to be, expect it to be a guide. It's beautiful that way. Because when you preach the law, you don't have to say, okay, now I'm preaching first use, everybody. So this is to curb your behavior and to keep you from, you know, in, in this, you know, uh, to keep the uh, society civil. And now I'm preaching third use. So this is teaching you how to love your wife or your husband better. And now I'm preaching second use because I'm trying to convict you of sin. No, it does all three all at the same time. That's what's beautiful about God's law. You don't have to make these distinct distinctions. So when it comes to our sanctification, when it comes to what Pastor Riccardi is terming as our sanctification, Lutherans would term it as love and fulfilling the law. All right. Uh, that's how we would term it. We, in fact, our articles of confession say that good works are necessary, but not for salvation. And you never look to good works for assurance of salvation. That's another thing we're going to get tangled up on here later on. We may not get to it this episode, but just kind of laying the groundwork for, for where we're going to go with this, uh, here uh, this week and, and probably next week. We're not, we're just simply not going to get to it all, but, um, it, that's another place we're going to tangle up is, is we don't, you don't ever look at a good work you did and say, Hey, that's contributing somehow to the status of my relationship with the father. You just don't look at it that way. You look at you primarily, you look at good works as something done purely for the neighbor, purely for the neighbor. And these must be done They're They are not optional. But we do good works, not so we can have uh, some, somehow impress God, but we do good works because we love our neighbors. Just like Luther said, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. See, and uh, and this is where Pastor Riccardi is, I think, going to go off the rails here. And and already I think he's <laughs> he's there and he's trying to address these issue, issues because you've got a guy like Tolian and uh, um, uh, Mike Horton and, and a lot of these guys who are very closely associated with Lutherans. And in fact, I would say are Lutherans masquerading as Presbyterians. Oh, I hope that's not offensive uh, to anybody who, who might be Presbyterian, who, who might who might be on track with what, say, um, Mike Horton is is getting at with with uh, some of his latest writings. But uh, but that's who he's tangling with here. That's who Pastor Riccardi is tangling with. That those of you, wherever, whichever side of the of the aisle you fall on here, I'm hoping that the, that some of the Lutheran confessions, some of the Lutheran teachings I'm going to bring out here can help clear this up a little bit and help you think about it rightly, uh, where you're not falling into antinomianism like the hypergrace finished works folks do, nor are you falling in into uh, into a moralistic, you know, a, a moralistic therapeutic deism uh, on the other side of things at, at both extremes. That's what Pastor Riccardi is really trying to do here. 
I'm going to try and help him out, okay, with some solid Lutheran doctrine. That's how great our Lutheran doctrine is. And again, I know you guys get, if you're, especially if you're not Lutheran, you probably get sick of me lauding the Lutheran doctrine. But look, hey, this stuff makes sense to a simple guy like me. Now, I know I've got some background, okay, I, I get it. But, but at the same time, it just, this stuff just clears stuff up so well. And if you go back and you just learn a simple concept like law and gospel and what the functions of the law are, Man, this stuff gets really clear and it just makes complete sense. And hopefully, uh, throughout the course of this, we're going to be able to kind of shed, shed some more light on this. And first of all, he's going to re- refer to Tolianchevichin. He's, he's miscategorizing Tolianchevichin, in my opinion, just totally is. Because if he's going to throw Tolianchevichin under the bus on this, he's got to throw all the Lutherans under the bus on this. If he's willing to do that, um, if he's willing to, you know, say, okay, well, everybody in, in Lutheranism is, is, uh, and the Lutheran faith is, are antinomians. It, okay. All right. Uh, th- then, then we've got really, now we've really got a debate, <laughs> but I don't think he would do that. Um, and, and then at the same time, uh, he's, he, I, his distinction between justification and sanctification is not helpful. And then his lack of distinction with law and gospel, he never talks about that. And then his, his uses of the law, I think are going to get him in trouble here. We're going to outline all that, try to bring some clarity to it and uh, see how it goes. Quote unquote, hard work of uh, sanctification was being redefined as nothing more than remembering, as understanding, as realizing, as grasping, and as coming to deeper and deeper understandings of justification. And again, what I believe was, was motivated by a good desire to battle moralism, you know, just the performance of external duties, regardless of the state of one's heart, wound up becoming an endorsement of quietism, which is this generation's reincarnation of the Keswick movement's let go and let God, in which feelings and emotions seem to be overemphasized and any talk about effort, any talk about striving to keep God's commandments is viewed with suspicions of legalism. Okay, again here, this is, this is what I'm, I'm worried about. If I, if I knew that Pastor Riccardi was really talking about hyper-grace finished works, folks, I'd say, okay, let's go for it. But since he mentioned Tolian Chavichin, who, again, essentially is a, is a, pres, is a, uh, is a Lutheran masquerading as a Presbyterian or was when he was in ministry. Um, <laughs> I can't help but wonder if he, if, is he lumping, uh, Lutherans in here? And, uh, gosh, we, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I know there's some things I vehemently disagree with, with Pastor Riccardi on in this. And I think maybe that'll be just the best way to handle it is just to get to that because that characterization is just that just nowhere near, uh, a, what Tolian Tavichin used to teach and preach in, in my opinion, or nor, uh, what Lutherans, uh, believe, teach and confess. Okay. It's just not, that is, that is, if anything, that's a straw man, uh, of, of what we believe teach and confess. It just is, uh, that is a, that is a perfect characterization, uh, of, of hyper grace finished works folks, folks, you know, where a genuine, uh, quietism where you just let go and let God and you just, you don't worry about, uh, putting any effort in toward loving your neighbor. Right. And again, I, I, I don't, I don't like even calling what Pastor Riccardi is referring to here as quote sanctification because it sounds something like something's very artificial. Like it's something that has nothing very sterile, nothing to do with anything. Uh, sanctification in the sense he's talking about it, he's talking about loving your neighbor. Loving God and loving your neighbor. That's what he's talking about. Okay. And I, I wish he would say that, um, that we, you know, uh, 
We want to get better at these things. We want to do well with these things as Christians. This is what the spirit, this is what our new heart of flesh makes us want to do. We want to get better at, at loving God. We want to get better at loving our neighbor and we're going to strive after these things. All right. That's really what, what he's terming as sanctification, uh, which again, I think is a misnomer. It's, it's a, uh, it's a miscategorization of things. Uh, this is one of these distinctions that, uh, that the, uh, radical reform folks, uh, make the 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 uh the calvinists uh, this this dichotomy between, between justification and sanctification that i just don't don't it doesn't exist in the scriptures it's not talked about in these terms now you can categorize it in that way but but i don't even think the categories are helpful i think justification and sanctification that all belongs in the category of things that are completely finished by christ and then on top of that when you so then what you bring in is what lengthen in the in our confessions calls love and fulfilling of the law. That's what Pastor Riccardi is trying to drive at here. But even in us love, loving and fulfilling the law, we must give credit and glory to God for doing that through us. It is never something we do on our own, you see. So even what Pastor Riccardi is referring to here as sanctification is not something that is just... Um, our strength and efforts to, uh, to love our neighbors. Anytime, anytime, doesn't matter how hard you try or not try or whatever else. Anytime I do something that's loving to my wife, Jen, that is an act of the Lord in my salvation, in my justification, sanctification. That is an act of God <laughs> doing something through me that is good for Jen. And all glory and honor belongs to my Lord Christ because of that. No glory or honor should go to me. I am not getting anything out of this. See, that's where we're going to get another hang up. This is, this, this turns into very much, uh, what I would call spiritual navel gazing. You're very worried about yourself and what you're getting out of what you're doing. And that's where I think he completely misses the boat and he slips right into moralism. Unfortunately, I do appreciate him trying to address this though. Uh, but uh, let's get into it more. I just have so much to say on this. Um, gosh, let's let's get into it some more and see what else we can come up with. And unfortunately, some of the responses to that quietistic error have seemed to swing the pendulum back in the direction of moralism. In our zeal to contend against what we perceive to be an incipient quietism or a subtle antinomianism, we wind up making some unguarded statements that can be misinterpreted as the kind of just-do-it, behavior modification, stoic approach to sanctification that would only eventually compel a pendulum swing back in the other direction of quietism. And we would go back and forth and back and forth. My aim for this seminar is to try to stop the pendulum from swinging. And it's not my aim to engage all the literature that has resulted from this discussion. It's not my intention or my goal to pick apart this or that author's model of sanctification in particular. Uh, my goal is to aim for the biblical center with respect to the Bible's teaching on God's role and the believer's role in sanctification. And as pastors and church leaders who are responsible not only for our own spiritual growth and vitality, but also for the spiritual growth of Christ's flock. Those of us who are concerned to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, Philippians 1.27, and to help others conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We who have our ambition to put the, the sanctifying power of Christ on display in our lives, 
We need to be crystal clear on how it is that we go about growing in holiness. So that's what the seminar aims to do, to help us understand the Bible's teaching about the nature of holiness and sanctification so that we can have a firm grasp on how it is that we put sanctification into practice. Because if we don't know what it is we're aiming for, there's no way we can have any idea of how we're to go ahead and put a hand to the plow of sanctification. Okay, and let me go ahead and reemphasize this point now. Uh, Pastor Riccardi has not brought up the neighbor at all. He hasn't even talked about loving God, and he's not going to talk about things in these terms. Now, again, maybe if you pressed him, and you said, "What do you?" And you said, "What do you mean by sanctification?" You know, flesh that out for me. He might be. He might say, "Oh, that means loving God and loving your neighbor better." Okay, cool. But he does not say that. It would be enormously helpful if you were to define his terms here, because what I sense or what I feel like happens a lot of times when you approach sanctification, the way Pastor Riccardi is getting ready to approach it is, again, you turn into this kind of navel-gazing person saying, how am I doing? And because because you're very worried about how this is affecting your relationship with God. So in other words, you don't do loving acts of kindness to your neighbor just purely for their sake. You have a motive already built in. Now, look, folks, <laughs> we're all mixed bags of motives. And I, the reason I wash the dishes for my wife, Jen, has all kinds of selfish motives attached to it. Sometimes um, it has the motive of uh, impressing God and saying, hey, hey, look, God, look how good of a husband I am. God, aren't I great? Uh, it has that motive attached to it. But when we already presuppose that motive into our, quote, sanctification, and we say just uh, automatically uh, before the thing even kicks off straight away that we have a motive of trying to get on God's good side with our acts of love towards our toward God and our neighbor. This uh, you've you've already muddied the waters. You, you're already sinning because if I'm loving God and loving Jen, uh, so I can see what I can get out of it. Or so I'm because I'm trying to get out of them something for myself. Th- this is not healthy, and this is the thing that really Tolyanjevichin tried to point out. Point out his whole ministry was if you try to go get something from somebody else that only God can give you, you're going to suck them dry. You're going to make them crazy, even in your attempt to quote serve them or be sanctified with them or behave in a holy manner around them and so on and so forth. Um, you, you, you at the end of the day. Your motives are completely selfish, and it's a built-in motive that that is already you're already sinning <laughs> before you even get started. I mean, forget about all the motives that just kind of flood in naturally from our sinful nature when we go out and try to do a good work. Okay, you, this this approach to quote sanctification, loving one, loving God, and loving one's neighbor better, um, already has a, a built-in sinful motive, which is it's about me. And that's, that's, that's the biggest problem with, with all this. And that's why the gospel is so wonderful. That's why we preach the law and gospel. Law and gospel, see? Because Jesus already took care of that. That, that was the thing that, that Chavichin was always trying to point out was that your status, your standing before God is not shaken by your behavior. Don't use your behavior. You're loving your neighbor as yourself. Don't use as a motive for that trying to get in God's good graces. You already are in God's good graces, so you can stop torturing your poor neighbor with this, with uh, with uh, 
false acts of love and kindness toward them or acts of piety that are meant to impress God. You can leave off on doing that. That's done. Go love your wife and love God because you love them and start to at least make a go at doing that with a pure motive. But if you start with Pastor Riccardi's approach here, your motives are already tainted. They're already tainted and you're going to end up in a bad place. Okay, so again, uh, hopefully, I, I really do not want to come across as unkind to Pastor Riccardi. I don't. I I really don't. I, I think he... Again, I think he is onto something after something, talking about something that needs to be talked about. And really, boy, I so wish that uh, that the Reformed Baptists in particular uh, would get together with us Lutherans on this. Please, let's talk about this. I, you know, we might have something to offer to you, and you know what? You might have something to offer to us too. I uh, just that's one thing that's frustrating about this whole thing is I don't see enough dialogue between us on this issue. Uh, let's see if we can get a little more in before we have to wrap up here. So as we begin with the the principles of sanctification, I want to read uh, the two primary texts from which we'll draw these principles, Philippians 2.12 and 13 and 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul writes in Philippians 2.12 and 13, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that second one, Second Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, the first principle on sanctification that I want to draw from these two texts is to say that the believer's growth in holiness is fundamentally internal and supernatural. Fundamentally internal and supernatural. Philippians 2.13 says it explicitly that God is working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in the process of progressive sanctification, God's working in us, not just that we might work, not just that we might obey outwardly external commands, but also to will. He's working even on our desires. He's working in us internally. All right, let me just jump on this point and then we got to quit. What Pastor Riccardi is setting himself up for is something that is going to be, oh, he's getting into a quagmire here already, unfortunately. And, and again, I so appreciate him trying to address this. I really do. It is not an easy issue. It is difficult. It, I, I still bat it back and forth. And, and I am so appreciative that guys are bringing this out. And we should talk about these things. And I hope that we do. That's the idea here. So this whole notion of our sanctification, quote unquote, the idea of loving God and loving our neighbor more comes from the heart. It should. It should come from the heart. But ultimately, it's, it's going to have its origins in external things. What, first of all, what Jesus did on the cross for us, our, our living, loving God and loving neighbors wouldn't be possible without that, without God's grace and mercy toward us on the cross. Wouldn't be possible, right? I think Pastor Riccardi would agree with that. The scriptures. He's going to talk about some of these things, all right? But ultimately, what it's going to boil down to is he's going to say that you should be obeying, you should be loving God and loving your neighbor from the heart. And then he's going to say that this is possible. And in fact, he's going to, he's going to insist that it be possible, that we, that we love God and love our neighbor from the heart. And... 
I've got to get this in or it's going to bother me all, all week long. And, and, it, and it springboard springboards off this point. The thing I think people don't get in this, quote, sanctification debate, and again, I, I would not term it that way. I don't think the scriptures term it that way. I don't think there's a distinction between justification and sanctification. If there is in the scriptures, please, by all means, show me what you're talking about. Show me where the word sanctification is used to talk about about these things apart from justification, and we're off and running. I'm just not sure where this distinction gets gets made. I think it's logical, but I don't think that's the term we want to use because it confuses things. It, 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 it doesn't bring into focus what we need to bring into focus. What needs to be brought into focus is loving God more and loving our neighbor more. That's what we're after here in this. Okay, So that's how I'm going to take his term sanctification. When you think that you can love God and love your neighbor from the heart ever, when you think you can get that done, you're, you're, pride, you're in pride. You're already sinning. It never happens. And here's the thing on this whole, quote, sanctification debate. It's way worse than Pastor Ricardi thinks it is. Uh, the depths of our depravity, uh, you know, what does Jeremiah tell us? The, the wickedness of a man's heart. Who could know it, right? The, 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 the psalmist tells us the same thing. You know, the uh, well, I'm kind of conflating those two, the, the psalmist and Jeremiah. But our hearts are utterly wicked. And to think that we can ever pull off a good work from the heart, that's arrogant pride that needs to be repented of. On the flip side of that, what Pastor Riccardi is going to say is, well, since we can never do a good work, we should never try. Nope. Nope. That's not the deal. It's way worse than that, Pastor Riccardi. (laughs) Unfortunately, here's the state we're in. Not only can we never pull off a good work from the heart that would be purely a good work to in loving God and loving our neighbors, not only can we not pull that off, we are required to try the rest of our lives to pull that off. Whew, that is depressing, isn't it? <laughs> but that's what the scriptures demand. The script the, the the law is not doable. We cannot do the law. But the, but the remedy to that is, is to not stop trying. What the scripture says is you keep trying until you die. <laughs> That's the precarious state we're in, in our sinful nature. So this whole notion that we can even pull this off, that's pride. And the flip side of that is despair to say that, well, I can't even come close to doing it. So I'm not even going to try. That's despair. That's the two places you end up if you don't have the gospel. See? Pride or despair. Hey, I've got to pull it off. I'm commanded to pull it off. Dead government, I'm going to pull this thing off from the heart, and I can do it? Or there's no way I can ever do it, so why even try? And the gospel comes in and says, Jesus already accomplished all of these things for you, so... You are required to try until you die. You're required to try to love God and love your neighbor until you die. Sorry, that's the deal. However, God be praised, we're allowed to fail in this because we will fail each and every time. The law is not doable and it is not optional. It's way worse than Pastor Riccardi thinks here.
Okay. What he's trying, what he's trying to put forth is that, um, the law is not optional, but it is doable. No, it's not. It's not doable and it's not optional. Okay. That's a, that's a bad state to be in if you don't have the gospel. Uh, but God be praised we do. So in other words, we can try. We can try our whole lives to love God and love our neighbor and fail as we might. We're still commanded to try. And we have grace and we come and confess our sin to our Lord who is gracious and loves sinners. And that's why we always have to go back to our justification because we are always going to fail in this. And we don't revel in it. We don't celebrate it. We mourn it. We're sorrowful over it um, and all these things. But uh, but certainly what uh, Pastor Riccardi is setting up here is really going to get us into the quagmire of moralism once again. Try as he might to get us out of it. It's just not going to happen, unfortunately. Okay, that's what we've got for this week. we got to wrap it up, and uh, we'll continue on with it next week. See you then. Thank you for listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. We'd love to get your feedback. Please email us with comments or questions at discussion at godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash godstillspeaksthroughjackasses. Be sure to download our app on the Google Play Store by searching for G-S-S-T-J. That's G-S-S-T-J for God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. And rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. And without doubt, tell your wayward pastor, worship leader, or your friend about us. It's an easy way to share the gospel, and you're sure to get a chuckle when you say, Hey, check out God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. Thanks again for listening.